Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. I also want to start by uh, reading us for again the scriptures that Jocelyn read for us. Jocelyn, thank you so much for reading those. Psalm 43, a different translation. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 9, verse, sorry, Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. As those two readings highlight, and as Fleming Rutledge, a wise American Episcopal preacher, has written, Advent begins in the dark. Which I love, because it means it finds us where we are. Crying out for light. That's what this season is about. This moment in the year. Crying out for light. Crying out for rescue. Praying for Sergei and his daughter on the cross of the world. Crying out for reconciliation of broken relationships. Crying out for a miracle for what seems impossible, but we know that God wants. Crying out for salvation for ourselves, for another. Crying out for the dispelling of the darkness in the world and also in us. As we've named each Sunday this month, though all around us is buzzing with Christmas, according to the historic practice of the church since about the third century, this isn't the Christmas season, it is the season of Advent. It isn't yet the Christmas season, but the season of Advent. Advent being this Latin word that means coming or arrival, a season in the Christian calendar that invites us to give voice to our deep longing and hope for God's coming into the world, for God's presence, God's reign, and God's shalom, which invites us to be honest, not to hide behind Christmas lights, but alongside of the lights, to be honest. In a sense, this is why some, maybe many, don't love Christmas, or not always, uh, or sometimes just struggle with it, or always struggle with it, because we know and feel the reality that we are still living in the days of Advent, that things are not yet what God intends them to be. Things in our world, things in our families, things in our bodies, things in us. And I mention all this this morning because not only is this the context in which we find ourselves, but this is the context in which we find the characters that are so central to the story that we think of and call Christmas. And specifically today, to the story of Mary and the Annunciation, the angel's announcement to Mary. At the most basic level, Mary's story is an Advent story before it is anything else. So if you have a Bible with you, open it with me to Luke chapter 1. 
Easy to find. It's the first chapter, Luke chapter one, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Some of the text will be on the screen this morning, but not all of it. Most of the Christmas narrative is found in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. Luke has the most, so that's where we are. Luke 1, 26 and following. A story that we need to hear in its Advent context, in Mary's Advent context. Because for her, approaching Christmas was not this, yay, it's almost Christmas. Though there probably was some of that. But she lived with, she was someone who lived with a deep and acute longing for God's kingdom come. And I'm not imposing this on Mary. I'm not dreaming up an idea and throwing at her. When we listen to Mary in the Gospel of Luke, when we listen to her words, we hear an ache for the kingdom in her prayers, in her response to the angel. A song and a prayer that invites us to understand Mary living with, day after day, a deep longing for the kingdom. She and all of her people, right? The Jewish people, a people whose self-identity was and is more than anything else shaped by God's revelation in history and essential to this, God's promise to act in history. That's the story at the heart of the people of Israel. This dream, this promise from God, not just a wish dream, but a promise from God that God would, as he did in the days of Exodus, God would break into human history, real TikTok history, Deliver his people from oppression. I swear I wasn't referencing uh, the social media. I mean like time. Real nameable history. Deliver his people from oppression. Bring them back from exile and establish his kingdom over all. Over all and in all. Over them and in them. To bless them for good forever. And yet, as we open the pages of the Gospel of Luke and we read... Luke prefaces everything with this honest, simple statement. Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. In other words, when Rome ruled over the people of Israel. This verse, like eight words in English, we just kind of zip past it. But right here, we are invited to feel, to remember and maybe feel the harsh everyday reality that must have weighed on Mary, as with everyone in her day, among the Jewish people. That though they lived in their own land, they lived under the crushing rule of the Romans. This verse alone tells us that Mary prayed prayers like, Oh God, would you please come? Oh God, come. How long, O oh Lord? Come to your people. Come for your people. Come set things right in our world. Come make your kingdom. Bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Send your Messiah. Oh God, send your Messiah now. So with that in mind, let's listen to Mary's story, Luke 126, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled 
at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and, you, and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I want to stop there. As you'll notice, I've chosen an unusual painting, an unfamiliar painting in the history of Annunciation pieces. Uh, The moment when the angel announces to Mary that she'll give birth to Jesus. Now, if you know my wife, you might realize that is my wife at probably age 19. Uh, It's a painting my wife did of herself in university, a self-portrait, but the piece is called Mary. Um, I think I've shared this before. It, it's called the, oh, I have the painting in my office and it says Mary on the back, so I apologize. I misspoke, I should have asked you. It's called The Annunciation. Uh, it's worth saying my wife's art has improved a lot since now. Uh, she, uh, most of the work out in the commons is by her and her skill level has increased a lot. But I've always loved her work. And I love this painting. I love this painting for how it captures something of the honest complicated reality of this moment for Mary. When we hear this story, we need to be so alert that this is not some serene exchange, blissful, idyllic. I love these historic pieces, Botticelli's, and next one is Da Vinci's. But this is not what it was like, I don't think. Uh, it was not a precious moment scene. It was not a Thomas Kincaid lands, uh, dreamscape, nor was it some long sought after enlightenment in a hushed quarter of St. Peter's Basilica. No, as I think Janet captured well, Mary's introduced to us as a simple and ordinary young Jewish woman pledged to be married to a man named Joseph for whom this arrival of an angel and announcement must have fueled Shock at the most basic level, and maybe even terror. As Mary took in the angel's words and what they would mean for her. Because as Luke tells us, and most of us know, Mary was not 29, had a nest egg, saying, I'm ready, let's do this. She was a teenager, though they had no concept of teenagehood back in those days. That's a very modern concept. But she was a teenager. She was young, She was early in life's journey, a devout, prayerful young Jewish girl growing up in the synagogue and the community. I love this piece too. It's the other one. I love how it portrays the youth of Mary. The text tells us she's a virgin, which probably refers both to her youth as well as her virginity. She's probably 13 or 14 years old. Does anyone remember being 13 or 14 years old? Complicated. And not only is she young, but she's betrothed to a Jewish man named Joseph, which was not an unusual thing in her day and her age. Joseph might have been a few years older, maybe a fair amount older, we don't know. Whatever the case, he seems to have been a good catch because Matthew's version tells us he was a righteous man, which meant stellar, desirable. And as many have pointed out, betrothal in these times, was the first stage of marriage. 
The first stage of marriage in the Jewish culture, official enough that to break it would be considered divorce. It usually lasted for a year before the wedding. There's nothing particularly notable told us about Mary and Joseph and their lives before this event, except Joseph's lineage. When Elizabeth and Zachariah are described, we're told kind of their list, their resume, righteous. They were both righteous. We don't get that for Mary, not that she was unrighteous, she, but she's not presented to us with this resume. We're told she's, we're to assume she's an ordinary young Jewish girl. We know from the story that Mary was devoted to God and humble. But other than that, there's no backstory given to us except what we can deduce from her own words and response to what happens. For all we know, Mary is an ordinary 13 or 14-year-old Jewish girl living an ordinary Jewish life, seeking to honor God in the midst of daily life, longing for the kingdom, and likely dreaming of her wedding day, right? Because it's coming. And into this, God shows up. Actually, an angel, right? Gabriel, sent on God's behalf. I went hunting to try to find an image to portray an angel, and I could not find anything very satisfying. Because through the entirety of Scripture, there are only two angels, I think, that are ever referred to by name. Michael and Gabriel, both who are said to stand in the very presence of God. So forget about picturing cute little cupids with suction cup bows and arrows. These angelic creatures must have had a commanding, startling presence. There isn't a story in Scripture where their appearance doesn't send fear into the hearts of all present. It, there is a reason why the angel always has to say, don't be afraid. Because it's freaky. It's overwhelming. Whether it's just pure holiness, whether it's the grandeur, I don't know. And so when God felt the time was right, he sent his archangel, Gabriel, to visit this young 14-year-old girl, Mary, announcing greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. In reading this, I think we often think, oh my goodness, wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine having an angel arrive in my kitchen and, tell, and speak to me? Just speak to me, anything. But this is not Casper the Friendly Ghost, Right? This is an archangel who is usually standing in the presence of God. I can't even get my head around what that would be like. Not surprisingly, we're told that Mary freaks out. That is not what the Greek words mean, but it, I think it captures the sentiment. Mary was greatly troubled, disturbed, confused. Not so much by the angel's appearance, but by the angel's words is what we're told. So much, she must have thought herself, where is this going, right? To which Gabriel says, do not be afraid. And with that, the angel goes on to explain the meaning of his appearance and greeting. So again, imagine yourself, a 14-year-old Jewish girl, a virgin betrothed to a respectful Jewish man. I know that's a stretch for some of you. But think about that. Imagine Living in that skin, 14 years old, a virgin betrothed, and Gabriel, the archangel of God, says, you have found favor with God. You've been chosen by God, graced by God. You will conceive and give birth to a child, a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over God's people forever. His kingdom will never end. 
And as she listens, Mary somehow realizes this is about to happen soon before, before the wedding day, before her and Joseph can learn the things that married couples learn. And so she asks the question, how, how, how? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Words don't seem to reflect a lack of faith, but a simple lack of understanding. In contrast to Zachariah's response, she isn't saying, okay, yeah, right. She's saying, how? And Gabriel explains. Angel says, the Holy Spirit will conceive in you this child. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. Even your cousin Elizabeth is going to give birth to a child in her old age. She who has been barren all this time and is well beyond childbearing years is in her sixth month. God is able to do everything he says he will do. Imagine Mary as she begins to take that in. What those words about this child and his kingdom would mean for her and her family, and her people. I'm sure I would think on one side, as someone who has prayed for the coming of the kingdom all her life, sat in the synagogue, heard the rabbi say a blessing as people depart, may the kingdom come in our lifetime, that in this moment, she felt this sense of, oh my gosh, it's happening. It's happening. God is doing something. We've been praying. It's happening. I didn't think it would ever happen, but it's happening. God is acting. God is speaking. An angel showed up in my pantry. God's silence is over. Israel's God, the creator of the God of creation and covenant, is speaking, announcing that it's happening. Kingdom is coming, finally, truly, now, to and through her. What an incredible reality to take in. The very thing Mary's people have been crying out for for centuries is now just upon them. And yet, with this, Mary's mind and heart must have spun with the questions which the play so helped us with. What, what am I going to say to my parents? How will I explain this to Joseph? How will I explain this to Joseph's parents and the neighbors and everyone at the synagogue? It's easy to read these stories to our kids as precious moment scenes and say things like, oh, how amazing it would be to the mother of Jesus. I wonder what the birth was like. It must have been amazing. Like angels flying out of you. <laughs> and maybe... It could have been viewed, probably was viewed as an incredible honor to be visited by an angel, to be told that she would conceive a child by the work of the Holy Spirit and give birth to Israel's Messiah, the Savior of the world. But in the midst of it, we also have to recognize that here we have a young Jewish girl who's betrothed to a respectable Jewish man, and she is now about to be pregnant before her wedding day, and the only explanation she has is, God did it. Sure, Mary God did it. In the moment of the angel's announcement, Mary came face to face with the reality that the coming of the kingdom of God, that receiving and bearing the very life of God, being a vessel of the living, 
a living vessel of the gospel would really complicate her life. Really complicate her life. Wildly, unimaginably. It would cost her so much. In a way, though she wouldn't have used this language yet, the kingdom would come with a cross for her. And undeniable, noticeable to everybody, cross. It would mean suffering physically, emotionally, relationally, communally. It would mean being misunderstood. It might mean losing Joseph and being cast aside by others, even in her community. No matter what, it would likely cost her her reputation and that of her family and Joseph, whatever he did with her. It would demand her body, it would demand her youth, her future, and what she had always expected the coming years would be. And yet in the face of all this, in the face of all this, Mary, by the grace of the Spirit, is really the only way we can make sense of it, could see somehow that her sacrifice, her sacrifice of faith, not just in that moment, but down through the years to come, her costly obedience through what she would give up, God would use her faith, her obedience, her womb, her body, her life to bring his kingdom into the world, to save the world, including her. And so she says to God before the angel, yes, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. May your word to me be, be fulfilled. Let it be done to me according to your word. Here I am, Lord, whatever the cost. Have your way with me and in me for your glory, for the sake of the world. These are not trite words, right? I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now, usually we stop there at this verse Luke 1, 38, humbled and challenged, I think, and understandably so, by the courageous, spirit-empowered faith of Mary to willingly offer up her life to become the vessel of the gospel, the vessel of the coming of the kingdom into the world. It's humbling. It is inspiring. It is amazing. It is a story worth telling again and again and learning from. And yet over the years, I have come to appreciate along with it, the scene that follows, that takes off in verse 39, as essential to Mary's story. Because the next verse, verse 39, tells us that Mary, the courageous one, promptly packs up her bags and hurries off to a town in the hill country of Judea to be with Elizabeth, whom the angel told Mary is also pregnant by the work of God. And let's be clear, Mary isn't commanded to go, right? The angel doesn't say to her, okay, so here's the thing. Elizabeth, your relative, is also six months in, so go, go. He doesn't say that. He tells her that she's pregnant, doesn't command her, but Mary goes. She packs up. And we're not told why. I think we often think she's kind of hiding. We heard that a bit in the Christmas play. I loved how it was portrayed. I can still see um, Allison standing here uh, as Elizabeth and Mary approaching and welcoming and this sense of like, all right, we'll take you in. 
and Mary's fleeing. You kind of have that sense that she's fleeing, and maybe she is. I think I've always thought that, and I think that could be very real. And yet, in a way, Mary's going to Elizabeth could also be seen as her coming out of hiding to Elizabeth, letting herself be known, letting her cross the shadow of the kingdom that is now heavy upon her life be known and shared by another who also has experienced something of the shadow of the kingdom in their life, who has suffered waiting on God in faithfulness, by another who has experienced what it's like to wait over years and who is trusting God right now in the midst of a confusing mystery, receiving God's kingdom on God's terms, And God uses this companionship to sustain Mary in faith, to deepen her embrace of God's will and work in her life. And we hear it in the things Mary prays, first in the moment of her encounter of the angel and then in her encounter, her time with Elizabeth. In her encounter with the angel, she expresses willing submission. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. But when she's with Elizabeth, whether it's instantly or it's over time, she begins to erupt with praise. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And I'll be honest, I think there's a bit of a journey there from saying, okay, okay, use me, Lord, to my soul glorifies the Lord. Mary's decision to come out of hiding to and with Elizabeth seems to help her step from obedience, which is beautiful in itself, to worship. Which is interesting because Elizabeth, when she speaks to Mary, doesn't say anything new. She just essentially reiterates what the angel has said. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. And yet somehow hearing these words, not just from the angel, but from another, from Elizabeth, from her lips, from another who is also trusting God's promise and knowing for a time the companionship of another who also is waiting on God, it all seems to be vital for Mary moving her to praise and thankfulness and worship and sustaining her in trust. And maybe Elizabeth needed it too. That's something that's starting to catch me because it's in the moment that Mary arrives to Elizabeth, we're told Mary is, sorry, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, And when she hears the sound of her voice, The baby moves in her. But Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something new. This is God's gift. Elizabeth received a gift in Mary running to her. And more and more, this has struck me as beautiful over the years. The gift of the gospel, God choosing to come in flesh into the flesh of Mary and into our world. But in that, with that, the gift of this humble yet vital gospel community. I know I've said this before, but I think I'll have to keep saying it. I think often we live with this quiet but persistent lie that when we really experience the gospel, we won't need anyone or anything else anymore. We'll be totally self-sufficient because all we need is Jesus. All we need is God. And yet here in Luke 11, we see otherwise as we watch Mary literally alive with the gospel, running to be with Elizabeth And Elizabeth receiving her. Mary coming to share the burden of the cross in her life. 
to find comfort in Elizabeth's friendship and support, to find courage through Elizabeth's word, which Mary needed and would continue to need down through the years. Just as she needed the gospel, Mary needed the community of the gospel, the provision of others like Elizabeth who would speak again and again the words of the angel to her, who would help her cling to the promise the Lord was and would be with her through all the days to come. It is a beautiful story and image of Mary and Elizabeth together sharing their fears, their frailty, their hope, and their encounters with the Spirit. And I can't help but think and feel that this is part of our task as a community in these Advent days. As brothers and sisters in Christ, our work as a community in these Advent days, and I mean by that not just December, but all the days we wait for the kingdom. These are Advent days. This is our work to receive Jesus, all the ways that he chooses to come to us. But in this, because of this, to receive one another, to share the grace and the burden of the cross. Because all of us at times, our following of Jesus will feel like a cross. Some of us, it will feel as dramatic as Mary. Our calling, our following Jesus will mean foregoing certain opportunities or experiencing a reputation scandalized by Jesus alone or seeking to make sense to friends something they cannot make sense of. But all we can say is God did it. And yet here we find this example of Mary and Elizabeth coming together to share the burden of the cross, as Mary did for Elizabeth, and for Elizabeth to extend to Mary the safe harbor that Mary needed. And not just to speak it, but to embody it, to open the door and say, come on in, come stay with me, to embody God's presence and grace and faithfulness in the shadow of the kingdom. So who are you in this story today, in this season? I think some of us have a natural wiring we're more comfortable with. Some of us are more naturally a Mary, sharing our burden. We're not as good being on the other side, listening in and receiving. And it, God's invitation to us in this season or this week or looking forward could be God saying it's time to open the door a bit and let someone else in and be present with them. Some of us are better at opening the door of our home, but not our hearts, not our vulnerabilities. We always want to be there for someone else, but we don't want to put our burden on someone else. But Mary needed to, and so do we, because we're not Jesus. We need him in skin, in others. I'm going to pray. We're going to, I'm going to share this song. I don't think this song embodies everything I've just shared. That's not why I wrote it. But I hope that it lets us hear something from God. I'm just going to pray first. Jesus, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for coming to us. Thank you that we live in the midst of the Advents, that today we are here looking towards Christmas Day together in the midst of all the complexities of our world. With thankfulness, we are invited to that you have come to us. You have taken on flesh and entered into the story of the world through the womb of Mary by the miracle of the Spirit's work, done the impossible. And we thank you, God, that by your Spirit you are here with us, that you have not left us orphans, but you are alive at work among us, in and through the life of the church, in the life of every one of your people, every woman and man that follows Jesus. You are present by your Spirit as we wait in these days for the curse to be lifted off of all of creation and in our own lives. For your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh Lord God, thank you for your word that by your spirit you invite us to see reality as we listen to Mary and listen to your word and what you revealed about her story and your coming to her Lord, we find ourselves in some ways addressed by you. We find ourselves invited to be honest about the ache, honest about the cross that comes with following you, being alive with your life, Lord. And we ask that you would, by your spirit, open us up to receive all that you want to give us in you and together in one another and to be a part of your companionship for others, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would, we ask that you would grow us in this, that we would be a gospel community where your life is cherished and where we shoulder the mystery together, Lord, in ways that lead to worship. Welcome, friends. Glad you've come. The journey's been long, for now it's done. Lay things down, gather round. The table is set for the lost and found. And now you're here. Are you hungry to be fed? Good news, the Lord is near. Just hear those words spoken. Welcome, friends. Glad you've come. The journey's been long, for now it's done. Lay things down.
Living God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for inviting us in. Today, here, and in these days, thank you for being the gospel, the God who turns toward us and opens yourself to us. God who does not stand at a distance, turned away from us in the heavens, but who not only has turned towards us, but has come to us in Jesus. Lord, as we walk toward Christmas Eve together, Christmas morning, as we contemplate this story at the center of the world, as we imagine Mary holding Jesus, welcoming Jesus, and Elizabeth welcoming Mary, would you awaken us to the grace of how in the coming of Christ you are welcoming us. You are opening yourself to us, letting yourself be known to us. Thank you that you are the safe harbor for us in our frailty, in our brokenness, in our advent aches. And we ask that by your spirit, you would lead us to be this for one another, for others, Lord. And where we need to open up and share the, the shadow of the cross in our own lives, would you fill us with hope and faith to do that? We bless you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen.